Peace be upon you. So most of us assume that our thoughts, our desires, our motivations, inspirations are our own volition. That these are things that we decided upon. We came to the conclusion. The reason that we like certain things is because, you know, we, we made the conscious, deliberate decision to like these things. And what we fail to understand is how much of our thoughts, our motivations, our desires are manipulated by external forces. One of the illusionists that I love citing, I've done a couple episodes just talking about his work, is that of Darren Brown. So Darren Brown is a uh, illusionist from the UK, and he's able to do these um, mental illusions that until he discloses how he does it, it seems like pure magic. Like this guy must be talking to jinns or, you know, be able to read minds or something like that. And it's really nice that he shows people how it's done, but it also is a direct um, indication to us just how easily manipulated we are because it's easy to watch these experiments, uh, these illusions and think, oh, what suckers, how they fall for this, you know, but fail to realize that this is a representation of any of us. So a couple of his illusions that I particularly like is one where he grabbed what appeared to be a random patron at a bar. And he says, hey, uh, I want you to think of a song. And uh, as this individual is thinking of a song, Darren Brown is saying, okay, I want you to imagine you're hearing the music and it's getting louder and louder. And as he's doing this, the guy doesn't realize, but Darren Brown has set up a band to uh, uh, assemble behind him and they start playing the exact song this individual was thinking. Now, the natural tendency is, oh my God, how did he do this? He must be some sort of a mentalist. He can read minds. And it was actually a lot more uh, brute force than that. And for the last 24 hours, uh, without this individual knowing, Darren Brown was stalking him. Uh, he would show up to his work and he was playing that song and whistling it as he's passing by him to, you know, do some maintenance work. And as the guy's walking down the street, he has a street performer play that song, you know, on, uh, on a flute to basically instill it into his mind. And when he would stop at a convenience store for lunch that day to place an order, he had the convenience store play that song as well. So throughout the entire day, this individual was being bombarded with the subliminal message for this one song. So when Darren Brown went and, you know, pulled him from the audience, he already knew what song the individual was going to think because he spent the last 24 hours planting those seeds in that individual's mind. And this is similar to like the plot line in Inception, where Inception, they want to make someone have an idea, but the objective is to make them think that it's their own idea. This individual had no clue that Darren Brown was manipulating him. He thought this was a uh, original thought he came up with, that he liked this song, and that was the reason he was humming it in his mind. And completely oblivious to all the planning and all the orchestration that went on behind the scenes to implant this idea, this desire, this motivation into his mind. In another illusion, Darren Brown wanted to show that even advertising experts were not immune to these uh, tricks. You know, for them, knowing how advertising works and manipulation and subliminal intent, you know, is very commonplace. But what Darren Brown did is he grabbed two individuals, advertising individuals from an agency, and he told them, he says, look, I want to bring you to an office and I'm going to pitch an idea to you and you're going to have 30 minutes to come up with a tagline and the theme for this business that Darren Brown was uh, theoretically uh, pitching to them. So a, a cab goes, picks up the, uh, the two advertising agents, drives them around, takes them to the office. And when they arrive there, 
Darren Brown tells him basically the exercise. So he was going to open up hypothetically a taxidermy service and he wanted them to come up with an advertising um, theme with a uh, tagline and a logo and he gave them 30 minutes and before that he put a piece of paper with what he thought they were going to come up with underneath a stuffed cat. So 30 minutes goes by, he comes back, and then he says, okay, well, let me hear your uh, pitch. And sure enough, what they do is they come up with this very generic tagline. They have a bear playing a harp, and then they have these angel wings. And funny enough, Darren Brown says, okay, well, you know, this paper that I came up with uh, 30 minutes before you even uh, started working, I want you to open it up. And sure enough, when they open it up, they see that he basically predicted exactly what it was they were going to come up with. And what was fascinating was, you know, again, they were completely unaware with all the planning and prep and everything that went in to get them to have these specific ideas and ends up that when they were driving to uh, the office that deliberately they would have things happen around them. For instance, at a stoplight, a school of children walked by all wearing matching t-shirts of this like uh, uh, angel harp shaped logo. And then they passed by a zoo. The uh, uh, stuffed uh, display that he presented to them was a giant stuffed bear. And they were putting all these things around that was outside of their conscious uh, understanding um, in order to implant these ideas into their head. So when they were given that task, they already were primed to come up with the solicitor response that Darren Brown was uh, anticipating. And I'll just talk about one more uh, illusion. This one, by far, I find the most fascinating. So this was an illusion he did with the uh, uh, actor uh, Simon Pegg. And what he did is he told Simon Pegg, he says, hey, write down a gift that you want to have and then seal that up, put it into an envelope, stuff it into your wallet. And so he does that. And then Darren Brown brings him into this room. And uh, he goes on the spiel talking to uh, Simon and telling him, in essence, you know, the psychology of determining how to understand what it is that a person wants. And uh, after the spiel, he says, okay, Simon, what is it that you want? And Simon looks at Darren Brown and without hesitation says, a red BMX bike. And Darren Brown goes and takes him to this giant box. They unpack it. And sure enough, it's a red BMX bike. And then Darren Brown said, hey, uh, I want you to open up that envelope where you wrote down what you wanted. And uh, he says, oh, yeah, yeah, I wrote red BMX bikes. He's like, you sure about that? And the guy opens up the envelope and it says a leather jacket. And he's in disbelief that he actually wrote a leather jacket because he was utterly convinced that what he really wanted was a red BMX bike. And then Darren Brown proceeds to explain how this was conducted. Everything in that room was subliminally giving the illusion of a red BMX bike, the artwork, the tables, the furniture, and then even the language that Darren Brown was using was constantly hinting towards a red BMX bike. So it got to the point where not only did Simon say he wanted the red BMX bike, he was in absolute denial that he wrote a leather jacket. And this is the power of manipulation. This is the power of suggestion that sometimes we are completely unaware that these desires, motivations that we have are not from ourselves, that they are coming externally. And the master of this kind of subliminal messaging, this kind of manipulation is that of Satan. These examples show us how susceptible we are to the power of suggestion. And this is one of the powers that God allowed Satan in order to test the human being.
In Surah 17, verse 61, it says, When we said to the angels, fall prostrate before Adam, they fell prostrate except Satan. He said, Shall I prostrate to one you created from mud? He said, Since you have honored him over me, if you respite me till the day of resurrection, I will possess all his descendants except a few. He, God, said, Then go. You and those who follow you will end up in hell as your requital, an equitable requital. You may entice them with your voice and mobilize all your forces and all your men against them and share in their money and children and promise them. Anything the devil promises is no more than an illusion. As for my servants, you have no power over them. Your Lord suffices as an advocate. So here we see that God has allowed Satan, the art of manipulation against the human being, to attempt to prove his point. And immediately, Satan deploys this at Adam and Eve. Despite the warnings from God that Satan was their ardent enemy, Adam and Eve bought into the narrative presented by Satan. In Surah 7, verse 19, it reads, As for you, Adam, dwell with your wife in paradise, and eat therefrom as you please, but do not approach this one tree, lest you fall in sin. Now, how simple is this? God said, look, whatever you want in this uh, paradise is yours. Uh, do whatever you want, eat whatever you want, spend your time however you want. But the one rule, this one simple rule, is do not approach this single tree. And you see the power of Satan that despite this one simplistic rule, they were able to be duped. In Surah 7 verse 20, it reads, The devil whispered to them in order to reveal their bodies, which were invisible to them. He said, Your Lord did not forbid you from this tree except to prevent you from becoming angels and from attaining eternal existence. He swore to them, I am giving you good advice. He thus duped them with lies. As soon as they tasted the tree, their bodies became visible to them, and they tried to cover themselves with the leaves of paradise. Their Lord called upon them, Did I not enjoin you from that tree and warn you that the devil is your most ardent enemy? How absolutely amazing that these righteous individuals were able to be duped so easily. And this is the aspect that it wasn't until they listened to the devil, until they listened to his suggestions, his manipulations, they were completely immune to it. But the second that they opened up their ears to hear, that's when Satan got them. Satan was able to utilize his power of suggestion and manipulation in order to deceive them and cause them to slip and break this one single commandment. Now, if we think we are any more immune to the devil's suggestions. We are kidding ourselves. If these two individuals, these two righteous individuals who had a direct relationship, communicated directly with God, and were already given paradise, failed, what chance is there for us without God's mercy? Another example we see in the Quran of how Satan can manipulate people to believe that the ideas they've generated, these idol-worshipping tendencies, are from their own volition and completely be blindsided to how the devil is utilizing them to send them astray. And this is the example with the children of Israel and specifically the Sumerian. So after God saved the children of Israel and drowned Pharaoh and his troops, when they had their freedom, 
they immediately schemed against God and they were completely oblivious that they were under the devil's influence. When Moses went to go uh, reach God, he left the children of Israel behind him. And when God asked Moses regarding the children of Israel, he informed them that the Sumerian led them astray. And sure enough, when Moses returned to the children of Israel, he saw what they did. In Surah 20, verse 86, it says, Moses returned to his people angry and disappointed, saying, O oh, my people, did your Lord not promise you a good promise? Could you not wait? Did you want to incur wrath from your Lord? Is this why you broke your agreement with me? So Moses is calling out the children of Israel for their worship of the golden calf. And listen to the response from the children of Israel. In Surah 20, verse 87, it reads, They, the children of Israel, said, We did not break our agreement with you on purpose. We were loaded down with jewelry and decided to throw our loads in. This is what the Sumerian suggested. He produced for them a sculpted calf, complete with calf sounds. They said, This is your God, the God of Moses. Thus he forgot. These individuals were manipulated before this event even took place. That they were being primed by Satan to buy into doing this act and defying God openly. Because we see that before the Sumerian even suggested this concept, before they bought into putting all their jewelry, all their gold together to create this monstrosity, that the children of Israel saw another community worshipping idols and they asked Moses for a God like the one that they had. In Surah 7, verse 138 through 140, it reads, We delivered the children of Israel across the sea. When they passed by people who were worshipping statues, they said, O Moses, make a god for us like the gods they have. He said, Indeed, you are ignorant people. These people are committing a blasphemy, for what they are doing is disastrous for them. Shall I seek for you other than God to be your God, when he has blessed you more than anyone else in the world? The children of Israel and the Sumerian were being primed at that moment to conduct this act, just like the advertisers that Darren Brown took to go and do the pitch for the uh, uh, taxidermist. They were already being incepted with these ideas, with this brain virus of worshipping statues. So when the Sumerian went and suggested such an idea, it didn't seem that far-fetched. Now, what else is interesting is that this entire time, they think that this is their own thoughts that are pushing them towards this decision, not realizing the trick that the devil is doing. And this becomes uh, obvious in the response from the Sumerian. So when Moses confronts the Sumerian in Surah 20, verse 95, it reads, He said, What is the matter with you, O Sumerian? He, the Sumerian, said, I saw what they could not see. I grabbed a fistful of dust from the place where the messenger stood, and I used it to mix into the golden calf. This is what my mind inspired me to do. The Sumerian is thinking that these ideas, these concepts came from him, that they came from his own volition, not realizing that the devil was duping him, was using him as a pawn in order to send the children of Israel astray. That despite all the evidence he sees, he still thinks he's the one in control, not realizing that he is only being used as a vessel to propagate the uh, devil's claim 
of the human being being unappreciative of his Lord. But the devil's suggestions are more than just pushing individuals towards desiring that which is sinful. Because in the example of Adam and Eve, they desired to approach that tree to eat from it, that the devil made it appetizing to them. Or in regards to the children of Israel, that they made the concept of worshipping a golden calf something that they lusted after. The Arabic says that their hearts were filled with adoration, love for that calf. And this is what the devil did to them. But the devil can cut the other way. The devil can make us hate in his cause as well. And we see this example with Adam's two sons. In Surah 5, verse 27 through 31, we read the history of Adam's two sons. It reads, Recite for them the true history of Adam's two sons. They made an offering, and it was accepted from one of them, but not from the other. He said, I will surely kill you. He said, God accepts only from the righteous. If you extend your hand to kill me, I will not extend my hand to kill you, for I reverence God, Lord of the universe. I want you, not me, to bear my sin and your sin. Then you end up with the dwellers of hell, such as the requital for the transgressors. His ego provoked him into killing his brother. He killed him and ended up with the losers. God then sent a raven to scratch the soil to teach him how to bury his brother's corpse. He said, Woe to me, I fail to be as intelligent as this raven and bury my brother's corpse. He became ridden with remorse. This concept of hate that the brother had towards the one who had his offering accepted, it was planted and blossomed from that of Satan. Satan convinced this individual that the reason his offering was not accepted was because of jealousy and envy towards his brother. Now, the Quran does not provide the names of these two brothers, but in the Bible, it's Cain and Abel. And Abel was the one who had an offering that was accepted, and Cain was the one who killed him. And you have to ask yourself, if it was only Cain who had his offering rejected, would he have been as uh, outraged? Would he have been as angry? But it's because he saw that his brother had his offering accepted. Now he had someone to compare himself against. And Satan duped him into thinking that God's mercy was limited, that the fact that Abel's offering was accepted meant that he was taking away from the ability of Cain to have his offering accepted. And Satan used this to drum up hatred and violence towards his own brother. And he didn't realize that he was being set up and he fell into the devil's trap. In Surah 2, verse 105, we read, Neither the disbelievers among the followers of the scripture, nor the idol worshippers, wish to see any blessings come down to you from your Lord. However, God showers his blessings upon whomever he chooses. God possesses infinite grace. There is no limit to the mercy of God. Just because God chose the offering from one and not from the other does not mean that it was taken away, that there was a limited quantity. This was an idea propagated by the devil, and this is what caused Cain to fall astray. So we see that the one who's manipulating the masses in order to love and hate 
in the cause against God, in the cause of idol worship, is that of Satan. And these are obvious examples in the Quran. But we are no more immune to these today. There is a concept known as the Overton Window, which is the range of policies politically acceptable to the mainstream population at any given time. It is also known as the window of discourse to distinguish which ideas are tolerable in society and which are not. And there is a constant shift in the Overton window, where years ago certain ideas would have been uh, unquestionable for the masses to propagate, now are totally acceptable. And vice versa, you had ideas that in the past were totally acceptable that today are completely offensive. And it's Satan who loves to manipulate this Overton window to push things towards sinful conduct. And if you need to see an example of this, consider that June, this month in June, in the United States was Pride Month, that they've dedicated an entire month in the celebration of homosexual sinful conduct. That it's not enough just to be accepting. You have to celebrate it. And you see this propagated in federal buildings, in corporations. I was in a Starbucks and you see rainbow flags everywhere and they, they propagate this as something that's beautiful when in actuality it's sinful conduct to the point that if someone calls this for what it is, that this is disgusting behavior, uh, they get targeted as a discrimination, as a bigot. And there was a recent event in Los Angeles at a spa. This was just yesterday. The lady was inside the locker room with her children and there was a man there exposing himself in all his male anatomy. And when she went to go and complain to the staff for this lewd conduct, she was called the bigot and basically saying that she was being discriminatory because that individual identifies as a female. Now, this is the level of absurdity that society has gotten to, to the point that we straight up disregard anatomy and biology of the distinguishing factors between male and female. And it's as if, again, if this was only limited to adults, you would say, okay, adults, they can live however they want, they can conduct however they want. I don't want to be a part, uh, partake in that. I'm not going to condone that behavior. But they're literally pushing this agenda to children. Now you go to a public library in the United States and they promote something known as drag queen story time for children, where grown men dress up as prostitutes and read children stories and have them sit on their laps in all kinds of immoral behavior that this is being propagated in public libraries. You step foot inside a bookstore and you go into the children's section and sure enough, you see a prominent display of LGBTQ pro-affirmative uh, books propagandizing our children. For instance, you see the gay BCs and you read the back cover. It says the ABCs of LGBTQ vocabulary for kids of all ages celebrate friendship, love, and identity with the colorful and affirming board book. From G is for gay to N is for non-binary to S is for sachet. And this is being propagated to our children. You turn on Nickelodeon and they have drag queens singing songs about rainbows and identity. Uh, same thing with Blue's Clues. And they're taking this message of debauchery and sexual immorality and trying to spin it into something that's loving and caring and rainbows and targeting it towards children. 
This is absolutely disgusting. If you pulled someone from years ago and told them about how society has just completely degraded into thinking that this kind of behavior, uh, not just as an adult, but also targeted towards kids, would be commonplace. They would look at you like you're crazy. There's no way. But this goes to show the level of influence that the devil has over the masses, that now they're trying to say that there is no such thing as male or female, that it's just a spectrum. You know, first they started with the aspect of saying, oh, well, look, there's a difference between uh, gender and sex. And now they're saying, no, it's one and the same. It's all a spectrum. And just twisting language and slowly pulling people into more and more outrageous, uh, disgusting behaviors in order to be acceptable in public society. God tells us on the day of judgment what the response of the devil is going to be regarding this manipulation that he's been conducting. It reads in Surah 14 verse 22 and says, And the devil will say after judgment has been issued, God has promised you the truthful promise. And I promised you, but I broke my promise. I had no power over you. I simply invited you and you accepted my invitation. Therefore, do not blame me and blame only yourselves. My complaining cannot help you, nor can your complaining help me. I have disbelieved in your idolizing me. The transgressors have incurred a painful retribution. So the devil's going to claim, hey, I simply invited you and you accepted my invitation. Now, what's interesting is most people are going to say, I didn't accept an invitation. But the reality is once we open up our ears to these devil's suggestions, we start partaking in sinful behaviors by accepting to watch this on TV, in our programming, in our music, we subscribe to these individuals who are propagating these messages. We are opening up our ears to this level of influence. And that's what the devil wants. He doesn't go to you directly necessarily. He only wants you to open up your ears to listen to what he has to say. And the second we do that and start consuming this disgusting content and become commonplace to thinking that this is the way a normal society functions, we become susceptible to the devil's influence. We need to be incredibly vigilant on what it is we allow, what suggestions we allow to listen to, to watch, to hear, to be entertained by. Because when we bring down our moral standards and say, well, look, I'm not partaking in it myself. I'm simply just listening. I'm simply just watching. What we're doing is we're making ourselves vulnerable to the devil's influence. God tells us in the Quran that if we want to be protected from such manipulations, such suggestions from the devil, we need to constantly be seeking refuge in God from the whispers of the devil. In Surah 16, verse 98 through 100, it reads, When you read the Quran, you shall seek refuge in God from Satan, the rejected. He has no power over those who believe and trust in their Lord. His power is limited to those who choose Him as their master, those who choose Him as their God. When we say that, hey, God told us to treat the devil as an enemy, but here comes the devil's influences through all media trying to propagate us to just listen. The second we do that, we're setting up a partner next to God. God tells us in Surah 23, verse 97 and 98, what we need to do in order to be protected at all times from the devil's influence 
And God tells us to say, My Lord, I seek refuge in you from the whispers of the devils, and I seek refuge, my Lord, lest they come near me. This is something we have to do 24-7. We should never put our guard down. We should never give the devil one inch from our moral integrity. And simply by just becoming accustomed to this kind of behavior, this kind of sinful conduct, all of a sudden we will find ourselves from rather just being a passive observer to an actual participant. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at Qurantalk at gmail.com. If you guys want to follow along the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store where we do a word-by-word breakdown of the Quran from the original Arabic. And if you like the podcast, please leave us a review, send us an email. And until next time, peace and God bless.